0: Nats Chat is brought to you by Walters. Walters' 90-minute bottomless brunch can be added to the purchase of any entree for an additional $20. Bottomless options include mimosas, Bloody Marys, Trulies, and Bud Lights.
1: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. terms and conditions apply need to hire you need indeed
2: here's a swing by Thomas and a drive to deep left center field this is way back going going and gone goodbye the pitch Swinging a high, high fly ball, left center field and
3: deep. Back on this one, the left fielder, Encarnación, to the warning track, feeling for the wall. He leaps, and it's gone. Luke Voigt with home run number 21. The 1 1. Swing and a long drive, left field for Robles. Encarnación back to the track, to the wall, and there it goes. A home run for Victor Robles.
2: And the pitch belted a left field. This is deep back goes Encarnacion looking up this ball is gone goodbye a home run for Alex Cole the Nationals have hit their fourth solo home run of the day and now
0: lead this game by the score of five to three and welcome to NatChat Chat for Sunday September 18th 2022 along with MadisonSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman was at Nationals Park I'm Al Galdi host of the Al Galdi podcast. Who says that the Nats don't beat the Marlins and who says that the Nats don't hit home run? Saturday, a 5-3 win over the Marlins at Nationals Park as the Nats now have won each of the first two games in this three-game series. The Nats this season now 3-12 against the Marlins. The Nats this season now a major league worst 51-94, and so just two wins away from the oh-so-important 53rd win that'll prevent A 110-loss season, and the Nats in this game on Saturday, five runs on six hits, all of which were extra base hits. Nary a single for our Nats on Saturday, four solo homers and two doubles, which came in back-to-back fashion. Mark, I can't believe we're saying this, but our singles, Happy Nats, did nothing but author extra base hits in this game on Saturday.
4: And this is a rare thing, Al, not just for this year's team, which as we know, love singles. They actually entered the day with the most singles in the major leagues. Did you know that? (laughs) They love their singles. They do not love their extra base hits. But here's the crazy thing. This is only the fifth time in Nationals history they've won a game without hitting a single. And the last time it happened was 2016. 2016. So these do not come around very often, even for teams that we think of as being power hitting teams. So it is nice to see that they actually have that club in their bag and they can do this on occasion. You don't want them swinging for the fences. You want them to pick the right pitches to try to drive out of the park, but to get four solo homers and then back-to-back doubles in one other inning. And that was literally it, the entire game for them offensively. And guess what? That can do it. That can be enough. When you score a run, when you make contact, you have a better chance of winning a game. And they did that in this
0: one. The Nats have been single and ready to mingle throughout the season. Not on (laughs) Saturday, though. They were going long. And how about the nature of the four solo homers, the three outfielders contributing big time in the home run department? We talked on the last installment of the podcast about how this was one of the better defensive outfields the Nats have fielded in a while. Alex Call in left, Victor Robles in center, Lane Thomas in right. We had the same alignment on Saturday, and each guy ended up hitting a solo home run. Who knew? Lane Thomas, man, is he locked in right now. The Lane Train on Saturday, starting right fielder, leadoff batter, one for three, solo home run and a walk. He, in the Nats, one run first, smashed a leadoff full count home run to left center for a one nothing Nats lead, home run number 16 for Lane Thomas on the season. He, in the bottom of the second, drew a two-out, five-pitch walk. We had Victor Robles homering in this game. He, in the Nats, one run fourth, a one-out solo homer to left center for a 4-3 Nats lead, 401 feet per stat cast. Victor Robles hit a 400-plus foot homer on Saturday, just his fifth home run of the season. And Alex Call in this game. He was again the Nats' number two batter, one for four with a solo homer, one run fifth, a leadoff homer to left field for a 5-3 Nats lead. The outfielders get the job done offensively and defensively.
4: And they all hit them out to left field. A couple of these were like these high, towering balls that, honestly, off the bat, you didn't necessarily think home run. And they just kind of kept going and going. And next thing you know, it's over the fence. It was a kind of warm day. It wasn't a lot of breeze, but the ball was carrying to left field. And that was nice to see. The other thing that's nice to see here, Lane Thomas now having a really sustained stretch of success, kind of like we saw from him late last season. Since the trade deadline, August 2nd, obviously he's been getting more playing time since then. 41 games that he's played. He's hitting 293, nine doubles, seven homers, 16 RBI. 842 OPS. So we keep wondering what exactly is Lane Thomas? Is he a starting outfielder? Is he a fourth outfielder? Is he starting center fielder? Is he a corner guy? Jury's still out somewhat, but clearly he's playing enough and playing well enough to suggest that he should be Pretty much locked into a starting job somewhere next year in this outfield Weatherton Center or even in right field, as we saw the other night, he's got the arm to play right field. We didn't really think about that with him as much, but he's putting it all together and he has the ability to be a a pretty complete player. You got 16 homers on the season now, which is more than anybody not named Juan Soto, who, of course, hasn't played here in uh, six weeks.
0: You know, you think about next season for the Nats and so much is dependent on what happens with ownership this offseason. If the team gets sold, who knows what the offseason will end up looking like. Maybe the new owner comes in and wants his team to be competitive ASAP and, you know, authors Mike Rizzo and unlimited budget to go out and go crazy in free agency. But if the Nats aren't sold this offseason, they're probably not going to be spending much money. And so I think a guy like Lane Thomas probably is likely to be a starting outfielder for the Nats at the beginning, of next season, barring the unforeseen. It's so funny with him too, because this is what he did last year. August in September, he was really good. You know, he's Mr. August slash September. Reggie Jackson was Mr. October. Lane Thomas is Mr. August. Slash September. And it's been a consistent run, like you noted, and it's been a wonderful thing to see. And you see him really impacting games. I mean, what he did in the win on Friday night with that outfield assist, that was a big play in that game. This leadoff homer in the uh, bottom of the first on Saturday, you know, kind of a a tone setter, if I can use a cliche, right? Like that was an indication of what was to come from the Nats offensively in this game. So Victor Robles homers as well. Like I said, just his fifth home run of the season, just his 10th home run Since the start of the 2020 season, this is a guy who did hit 17 home runs in 2019. He, on Friday night, returned from a six-game absence. I want to be sure on this because it's been a little murky. Was he out for six straight games because of the neck or because he was benched?
4: Both. He missed a couple of games because of the neck, and then those were you know manager decisions, I guess you call it, for him not to be in the lineup after that. So he was available after a couple of days. And the matchups and uh, how everyone else was performing, I think pretty clear was obvious that he odd man out there and being buried on the bench. And really, it took the Nelson Cruz eye injury, if we're calling it that, to get him back in there. now favorable matchups against a couple lefties the last two days. We'll see if he stays in there or not. But I think it's clear at this point, there's not a whole lot Victor Robles is going to do short of a tremendous closing run here out of the season for him to change a lot of people's minds or for him to make the organization suddenly think that he is going to be the player they've always known he would be they know he's still a good defensive center fielder for them but they also know that he has just not hit offensively with any consistency since 2019 and they know he is still prone to those fundamental mistakes in the field on the bases you name it and we're five years into it and nothing has changed there so barring a huge surge from him here at the end I don't see him entering the winter and next spring as a, you know, their starting opening day center fielder. Things can change, of course. I'm not saying they're gonna get rid of him altogether, although I think you have to at least consider that possibility. But no, I think it's pretty clear at this point that he is not really if everyone is available to them, he's not in their lineup on a daily basis right now.
0: Okay, so that is notable because like I said, it wasn't crystal clear why he wasn't playing. Now we can say, no, he was for the most part benched during that six game stretch. So that clearly stands out. And I think with Robles, and I know we've talked about this, but he's good defensively, but he hasn't been great defensively since 19. If he was great defensively, you could maybe put up with the bad offense. But if he's just going to be like a plus defender, that's not worthy of the like wretched offense that he has been providing. You know, it was interesting. Mike Rizzo, in his spot with the Sports Junkies this week, did talk about Robles a pretty good amount. And he talked about how Robles. The big issue is, you know, he doesn't barrel up balls and he makes such weak contact. And it is so true. I mean, if you're watching these Nats games, it's not just that Robles makes outs. He makes some of the weakest contact that you'll see, like even his hits are like these cheapy hits. You know, he hit the home run on Saturday, so good for him. That was not a cheapy hit. But yeah, it it is alarming, just the lack of quality of contact that you see from Victor Robles. And that clearly screams that uh, hitting is a real issue for him. It's not just about results. The process doesn't look good.
4: Right. And it's not as simple as, well, he just chases too many pitches out of the zone, breaking balls down and away. Yes, that is still an issue. But like you said, even when it's over the plate, he's not hitting it with authority on any kind of regular basis. We know he loves to bunt. He hits a lot of ground balls, like you said, slow rollers, things like that. There have not been that many times that you said off the bat, oh, wow, that was solid contact, even on an out. Not a lot of line drives at the shortstop, anything like that. So it's a mystery and it is, you know, a a pretty significant question going into the offseason. Like we said, Thomas pretty clearly is going to be part of the starting outfield they don't have a whole lot else that's set in stone at the moment. And if they are not in a position to go spend money on anything, and if we are to presume that Luke Voigt is their DH and Joey Manessas is their first baseman next year, that's two more outfield spots they have to fill with not a lot of great options in-house. So it could actually keep the door open for Robles to at least compete for a job there, pushing Lane Thomas to one of the corner positions. It's You'd like to see him actually earn that instead of just retaining it by default, but let's look at what the other options are. Josh Palacios, Alex Call, You know, there's nobody knocking on the door. Triple A, I mean, Robert Hassel is eventually going to be here, maybe by the end of next year, but he's still at double A right now. So unless they're spending money or making some moves this offseason, there's not a lot there in the outfield for them to choose from.
0: Yeah, and I don't think you can emphasize this enough, if the team isn't sold this offseason, The team isn't spending any money. If the learners are trying to sell this team, they're not spending money this offseason. It's going to be a lot like last offseason. You know, this was essentially a tank job this year in terms of you put like very few resources toward this season, which is understandable, but I think like that needs to be understood. (laughs) You know, they're not spending money this offseason if they're not sold. If they get sold, then maybe they do. One more thing on Robles. So one of the great geek stats out there now is this stat xwoba, which is basically like quality of contact. x xwoba, his expected weighted on base average coming into this game for Saturday, 245. And xwoba basically tells you like, okay, based on the quality of the contact you're making, what should you be hitting? You read weighted on base more or less like a batting average. That is a woeful xwoba, 245, and it just speaks to what we just talked about: contact. Has not been there. You mentioned Luke Voigt, so he hit the other home run for the Nats in this game. You know, Voigt's been better lately. He was kind of in a rut for a while, but uh, Luke Voigt on Saturday as the Nats cleanup batter and starting DH, one for three with a solo homer and a walk, a two out five pitch walk in the bottom of the first, and then in a one run third, a one out full count solo homer to guess where, left center, for a 3 1 Nats lead. He was down in the count at 1.02, worked the count full, and you know, you talk about the ball carrying. I felt like the Voigt homer captured that as well as any homer in this game. It came off the bat like a fly ball, maybe a deep fly ball, and the darn thing just kept going and then it was out of here.
4: Yeah, I think that was the one that stood out to me the most because it was a high, towering fly ball, but not that sound off the bat that you're thinking, "Okay, that's clearly out of here" anything like that. But it shows that he does have the muscle to be able to do that and get the ball in the air and good things can happen. And, you know, he is on a kind of quietly on a nice little run here over his last 15 games hitting 321 he's hit eight homers now for the nats in 36 games and even though the season as a whole he would be the first to admit has not been a good one for him when you combine what he did in san diego and here but he's hit 21 homers with 20 doubles on the season so if that's a bad year for you offensively and still an ops plus of what 114 coming into the day So he's an above average hitter, even in a down year by his standards. So maybe that is reason to believe that it's worth it to have him back here. Maybe focusing on just being a hitter at DH and not having to worry about playing the field could be good for him. And this team isn't in a position to really just get rid of affordable power hitters. So unless there's an offer out there, they think they could turn him into something else. I would think at this point, he's probably done enough to suggest that he should be coming back next year as the DH.
0: Yeah, I wanted to bring that up. So he's arbitration eligible through 2024. He's in the midst of a one year $5.45 million contract. Do you think the money, and I put money in quotation marks because it's not a lot of money, but on this team, once you get beyond Steven Strasberg and Patrick Corbin, there aren't many guys making good money. And again, if the team doesn't get sold and the learners don't want to spend money this offseason, do you think his affordability could come into play in terms of whether he's retained or do you think that that would not be an issue?
4: I would hope not because they're not paying for pretty much anybody outside of Strasburg and Corbin. I haven't done the math yet to see like what the project payroll is right now. It's going to be way down though. And if they're not going out and spending money on free agents, you have a controllable player still in arbitration. I mean, what's he going to make at best? $8 million maybe? Next year, think about it. they went into this season, they're paying Josh Bell more than that. They paid Nelson Cruz $15 million to be their DH. We saw how that worked out. I would think that unless there's an edict to just strip it all the way down and go with like the smallest budget in the big leagues, which I'm not saying that's not possible, it could happen, but I would think that you bring him back at a pretty affordable price. And again, could be a trade chip next summer, depending on how he's doing and where the team's at and all that. Look, they have to put a team out there that has a chance to score some runs, at the moment, he's one of their better options to do that. They don't have a lot else in the pipeline. So I would think, barring a collapse here at the end, that they would probably bring him back.
0: This was such an odd game offensively for the Nats, but odd in a good way, odd in kind of a fun way. Like we said, just six hits, all of them were extra base hits, the four solo homers and the two doubles. The Nats scored exactly one run in each of the first five innings of the game. 1-1-1-1-1, as you read the line score for the game. In terms of the two doubles, uh, like I said, they came in back-to-back fashion, came in the Nats one run second. Luis Garcia had a leadoff opposite field double to left field. Uh, Luis Garcia has a 20-game on base streak, longest active on base streak in the majors, so we did not know that. And then he was driven in via an RBI double, by Riley Adams. And it's nice to see him get a hit like this. He had another one not long ago. It has been a real struggle for Riley Adams offensively at the major league level this year. But Adams in that one run second, an opposite field RBI double to right field for a 2-0 Nats lead. And then that actually ended up being it for the Marlins starter, Trevor Rogers ended up leaving the game due to left lat discomfort. But when you talk about Nats batters who need hits down the stretch, <laughs> you might say Riley Adams is at the top of that list.
4: He's very high on the list because here's a guy who we went into the season saying he's your clear number two catcher. Maybe somebody who's going to get even more playing time as a backup first baseman or DH has not gone well at all for him offensively. He has started hitting here just in the last week since Cabert Ruiz went down and he's starting to get more playing time. We saw the homer the other night, RBI double here. That's good. You need to see more of it from him. Physically, he looks like he should be a big league hitter, But it's uh, one thing to look like it, another thing to actually go out there and perform like it. We've seen, it's pretty clear at this point, it's going to be Riley Adams and it's going to be Israel Pineda getting the playing time down the stretch. I don't know why Trace Pereira isn't playing, aside from they must feel like they know what he is at this point. So if I'm Riley Adams, I am trying to take this opportunity I've been given and make the most of it because he is fighting for his job going into next season to be the number two catcher.
0: Boy, the Tress Barrera thing really is something. He was brought up at the beginning of this month. Sunday is September 18th, and we still have not seen Barrera in a single game. Like, forget about starting. He hasn't appeared in a single game. Isn't that odd that you would have someone around, and he wouldn't even make an appearance at some point over the course of nearly three weeks now?
4: I agree. And there were times when, remember, Kabert came out of the game when he got hurt, and it was Riley who came in. You had that stretch where Cabert started five straight games, I think it was, And then Riley Adams starts the next day. They pinch run for him and Kaber comes in to finish the game behind the plate. So it's clear that for whatever reason, they're not playing Barrera. I don't believe there's any injury going on. I think this is a case of them wanting to see the others and you have an emergency catcher on your roster. Well, this is the true emergency is going to have to come up for Barrera to end up in the game.
0: Jeez. Yeah. This is like the ultimate emergency for this guy to get into a game, apparently. (laughs) Hey, are you a law firm partner or associate stuck in the minor leagues like Joey Fourbags Manessas? Your employer might be holding you back from your true potential. Maybe another law firm can get you what you need. More money, better support, better client contacts, or a better brand name. You need a better agent. You need Mason Kalfas. Mason Kalfas, he started Zenith Legal in 2015 to be the best legal recruiter in the nation, and he has succeeded. He has placed partners and associates at over half of the largest 100 law firms in the U.S. He specializes in working with lawyers at major law firms and government agencies such as the DOJ and SEC. Like Joey Manessis' big breakout, Mason Kalfas can help you identify what you really need to accelerate your legal career. He will work with you to find the best law firm for your practice and negotiate you the absolute best deal, a deal worthy of a superstar free agent. The legal market still is very strong in 2022, and there's no better time than the present to think about making a move. You need to call Mason Kalfas at Zenith Legal. His number is 202-486-3535. Or you can check out his website, zenithlegal.com. He has a team of recruiters across the country, but you will get tons of personal attention from Mason. It's time to launch your career into the upper deck. Call Mason Kalthus today. Go Nats and go Joey.
1: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all That's Indeed.com slash wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
5: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Go to Bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B I O P T I M I Z E R S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.
3: The 1 1. Swinging a fly ball deep left field. This is trouble. Going back on it. call to the warning track to the wall, and it's gone. It just clears into the Marlins' bullpen, a game-tying two-run homer for and Encarnacion. That's his third of the season, and the Marlins have tied it here in the fourth, the Nationals three, and Miami three.
0: Eric Fetty was the Nat starting pitcher on Saturday, and uh, Eric Fetty lasted for just four innings. He was not good for a third time in four starts. You know, we've talked about Josiah Gray's season not ending in a good way. Eric Fetty's season is not ending in a good way. He, on Saturday, allowed three runs in the four innings. He gave up seven hits, a homer, a double, and five singles. He did have three strikeouts versus no walks, but he, over his four innings, threw 87 pitches, 56 strikes versus 31 balls. It's funny. The game ended up only lasting for three hours, two minutes. I say only, but by today's standards, it's actually not bad. The game felt like it was going to take about six hours while Fetty was pitching. You know, we're going to have pitch clocks next year. Eric Fetty might be the number one reason for that. His outings take forever. The bullpen ended up being really good. And so the pace of the game picked up there. But yeah, for Fetty now, this was his fifth start since coming off the 15-day list. He was on that with the right shoulder inflammation. His initial start off the 15-day I.L. was good. A 4-2 loss at Seattle on August 23rd, two runs in five innings, six strikeouts versus one walk. He also had a good outing in a 7-1 win at the Mets on September 4th, one run in six innings. But his other three outings have not gone well. He got shelled in a loss to Oakland at Nationals Park on August 30th. He had a hard time in an 8-5 loss at Philadelphia on September 10th. And uh, then we had what we had on Saturday here against the Marlins.
4: Yeah. So this was a little bit of a strange one from him by this standpoint. Did not walk a batter in his time there. Even though he had all the pitches and only finished four innings, didn't walk anybody. And the issue was he just couldn't get outs or certainly not quick outs. The Marlins swung the bat 41 times against him and they put the bat on the ball 36 times. Now, a bunch of those were foul balls there Were 21 foul balls, 15 balls in play. He was not getting swings and misses. So even though he was in the zone, he was not able to get outs on those strikes. And he said that his breaking ball just wasn't sharp. And that led to a lot of those non-swings and misses. And so there were a lot of foul balls that kept counts alive. But it was torture to watch us at times. And unfortunately, this is what he has become all too often. He just is not putting away hitters. He's not getting quick outs. If you're not going to get outs on strikeouts, then you better induce weak contact. And in this case, the stuff wasn't good enough or well-placed enough to actually get weak contact in the field of play. It was just a ton of foul balls, and he was helpless to do anything about it. To the extent that Davey pulled him after four innings, even though he was in line for the win, he couldn't qualify for it because he didn't go the minimum
0: five. His ERA is at 529. It's just it's not ending well. This is almost certainly going to be a second consecutive year in which he finishes with an ERA over five. And yeah, I mean, he doesn't miss bats. You know, we got so spoiled for so long with guys who miss bats at such high rates, right? Max Scherzer, Steven Strasburg, Patrick Corbin, when he was good. You look at the rotation now, and this isn't the only reason the rotation isn't very good, but save for Josiah Gray, who misses bats with any kind of frequency in this rotation? And the answer really is nobody. Even even the bullpen guys for relievers by relief pitcher standards. The bullpen isn't exactly overflowing with strikeout arms. Now, Tanner Rainey can be that. Kyle Finnegan can be that. But like Coral Edwards Jr., again, by high-level reliever standards of today, which is like 10, 11 strikeouts per nine innings, you really don't have that with the Nats. Uh, It's a lot of pitching to contact. And if the contact is weak, great. But if it's not, or if the variance of the batted ball does not go your way, then good luck. Things can be difficult.
4: So what you're saying is the story of the 2022 Nationals is this. The offense makes a ton of contact, but hits for no power. The pitching staff gives up way too much contact, doesn't strike anybody out. Is that a good formula for success in 2022?
0: Oh, there's something poetic about that, too. You know, I feel like you could write a nice essay about all of that, (laughs) but I don't know anyone who would want to read that at this point. Yeah, I mean, it's tough. We again, we got spoiled for so long and you, you realize like this is how it is for a lot of teams, if not most teams, like great pitchers who strike out a bunch of guys Aren't easy to find. And, you know, we've talked about the Nats defense. You know, the Nats have not rated well as a team defensively in years. you got to go back really to the 2014 Nats team. For the last time, the Nats had a truly good defense. But it didn't matter in like 16 and 17 and 19 because you had these pitchers missing bats. Now that you don't have that, the bad defense really does stand out. Now, like we've said, the defense has been better lately. But it really does highlight that of how if you don't have pitchers missing bats, it's like hitting home runs. You know, it masks a lot of deficiencies and strikeouts are the same way from a pitching perspective.
4: Yeah, this is not the kind of pitching set that's built really to win right now. Now, we say that and, you know, come April, you would hope that you're looking at a rotation that includes not only Josiah Gray, but Mackenzie Gore and Cade Cavalli, who could be high strikeout. Guys, And we'll see if there's any more coming up through the pipeline. But in this day and age, it does feel like you need more of that. I'll be curious too, next year with the pitch clock and the banning of the shift, how does that change things? Is pitching to contact have a better chance of success? Or do you actually need to be more of a strikeout pitcher. I'm not really sure how that's going to play out. I don't know if anybody really knows what that dynamic is going to be, but it is going to be different.
0: Yeah. And I think it's going to be interesting too. If you're having to take less time between pitches and you can't sort of conserve energy as much as you are now between pitches, does your velocity dip down? And does that by itself lead to increased offense? Because not every pitch is 99 miles per hour. You know, If, if every 20 seconds you're having to make a pitch as opposed to now every 40 seconds, you know, I mean, I'm exaggerating maybe, but you get the idea. I think that could impact things too. So we'll see. I think also too, if you're taking less time between pitches, less time to think about what you want to throw, how you want to throw it, you know, so that could negatively impact pitching. So a lot of potential uh, effects here of the pitch clock next year for sure. Now, off all of that, the Nats bullpen did strike out guys on Saturday and did do a really good job on Saturday. Four Nats relievers combined for five scoreless innings with five strikeouts versus one hit and no walks. Hunter Harvey, perfect top of the fifth. Orosmo Ramirez, scoreless top of the sixth, perfect top of the seventh. Carl Edwards Jr., a perfect top of the eighth. And Kyle Finnegan, perfect top of the ninth with three strikeouts. He can be off, and we have seen him be off lately. But when he is on, he is excellent. And he was excellent on Saturday. And
4: it's nice to see him bounce back after that really disastrous outing on the last road trip. So we're going to look at his numbers at the end of the year and kind of go, eh, maybe it wasn't that great of a season. But there really are a lot more good to even dominant outings from him. The problem is, it's the nature of the beast when you have that role, the blowups are really bad and skew the numbers. Now, it's your job to have as few of those blowups as possible, and he's had maybe a few too many this year. But I still think... You like what you've seen overall from him. Is he a long-term closer? I don't know the answer to that. But I think in this team, in this bullpen, he certainly needs to be a big part of it moving forward because the stuff is still electric, throws high 90s. And when he misses bats, he racks up the strikeouts and has avoided those blowups like he had last week.
0: Well, the Nats have yet to author a sweep this season. The Nats, of course, have had such a hard time against the Marlins this season. What if the sweep is finally achieved on Sunday? Game three, Marlins at the Nats, 135 first pitch. Anibal Sanchez will be your Nats starting pitcher. And oh boy, Sandy Alcantara will be the Marlins pitcher. He has owned the Nats this season in ways that are quite vile. So we'll see what happens. But man, that would be something. You complete your first sweep of the season. You do so against the Marlins who have been like your kryptonite and you beat the great Sandy Alcantara to complete that sweep. That would be something.
4: If they do sweep this series, they will have earned this one. Sometimes it's a little bit of fluke. They will earn this one if Annabal defeats Sandy Alcantara on Sunday.
0: I'm with you on that. You tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast Nats at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram at Nats You can get yourself a Nats chat podcast t-shirt by going to natschatpodcast.square.site. And do not forget about the first ever Nats Chat Podcast Party, Friday night, October 14th at 7 at Walters, which is right across the street from Nationals Park. Nats Chat is on the radio on Sunday mornings, Sunday mornings at 9 on 1061 ESPN in Richmond. You can listen online at ESPNRichmond.com. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, Hamel Galdi, and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast.
2: Beat the Marlins last night, trying to make it a series win with a win today. Finnegan sets. The kick and the 2-2 pitch is in there. Strike three called. Locked him up with the splitter, and the game is over. A Curly W's in the books. Kyle Finnegan strikes out the side in the ninth inning and earns save number 10 on the year as the Nationals take two straight from the Marlins. It's happening daily.
3: We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing.